Hello, and welcome to another episode of Family Law and Lattes. This podcast is for family law professionals in England and Wales looking for straightforward, helpful tips or toolkits to tackle all aspects of family law. Basically, something you can listen to for half an hour whilst you're enjoying your cup of coffee. My name is Melanie Batyar Samuel, and today I'm joined by one of our previous guests, Jitesh Patel. Jitesh, if you remember, is a specialist family law solicitor at Loris Law in London. Jitesh has over 20 years experience handling family matters and is an expert in the financial aspects of divorce and separation. He is here because he also has considerable expertise in complex international surrogacy and adoption. Last time we met, Jitesh and I discussed the complex topic of international surrogacy. This time, Jitesh will be providing us with an introduction to international adoption. Hello, Jitesh. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so Hi, glad I'm so glad you're willing to return for a second uh, second go at this. Um, so thank you. No worries at all. I enjoyed the first one. Hope this one's just as good. <laughs> I think it will be. We've got an interesting topic today. We're talking about international adoption, which is a continuation from our original conversation on international surrogacy. Um, different different topics, different ways of work, but I know you are very interested in both of those areas, and that's something you specialize in. So how did you get involved in the international adoption type of work? Um, it's similar to the way I got into um, international surrogacy work or surrogacy work generally. It was just ways of assisting families um, or couples or individuals as well to start a family really um, if they could not naturally conceive for whatever reasons mm-hmm. um, you know medical reasons sexuality reasons whatever reasons um, but it was it's nice to be able to assist people not just in relation to the breakdown of their relationships sure yeah um um but also be able to use your knowledge and family law experience to help actually create happy stories and create families um as well so that's how i got into it so yeah that's really that's really quite nice i I love when i talk to to other lawyers and they're like oh i do like doing this because it's always very pleasant to create a family rather than to assist in the breakdown of a family so (laughs) i I, I do like that and what is the difference then between adoption and international adoption is there a difference well um the adoption would mean a domestic adoption an adoption in england and wales where the child is likely to be in care um or foster care um mm. following care proceedings where the um local authority have obtained what's called a placement order so that child can be placed up for adoption um it's governed under the adoption children act 2002 international adoption is slightly different and i split it into two to be honest with you so one i call international adoption one i call inter-country adoption um international adoption um are those adoptions that take place abroad under the hague convention on international cooperation on adoption and protection of children i might have got that wrong but it is the hague convention Mm -hmm. um but what what that sets out it's a 1993 convention And what that sets out is procedures that two countries should follow to recognise an adoption of a foreign child in the foreign jurisdiction. Now, if you follow the Hague Convention route and you're English, 
you're based in England, then you will not need to re-adopt your child under English law. So under the Adoption and Children Act, your adoption, your Hague adoption order would be automatically recognised in this jurisdiction. Okay. Um, under inter-country adoption, those are adoptions that aren't on or do not form part of the Hague Convention. So they're outside the Hague Convention. The Hague Convention has what we call a designated list. So if you, if you, if a country appears on the designated list, um, they will recognise each other's adoptions okay. um, under the Hague Convention. But inter-country adoptions are those adoptions that take place in foreign countries which aren't on this designated list. Um, it's still possible to do. You just adopt the child in accordance with the laws of the foreign jurisdiction. But you do need to re-adopt the child in England and Wales when you return under what's called a, uh, under the Adoption and Children Act uh, 2002. Uh, because your inter-country adoption order will not automatically be recognised in this jurisdiction. There is a third, I should mention, type of adoption that I've experienced in my um, work as well. And that's known as a de facto adoption. And that's an adoption that occurs under the immigration rules. So that's a situation where you may have been working abroad for a long period of time, and a child came into your care for whatever reasons, um, but you did not do anything formal to mm -hmm. in the foreign jurisdiction um, because it, no one was questioning why the child was with you or anything. And then all of a sudden you want to return back to England for your job's finished or whatever reasons you want to mm -hmm. uh, adopt. Um, but the child's lived with you for a continuous period of more than 18 months. Okay. Under that principle that the child has lived with you for a continuous period of 18 months, a de facto adoption has arisen and you can apply for the child's entry clearance into the jurisdiction on the basis that a de facto adoption has arisen. It's difficult. A lot of those cases fail at the entry clearance level, but they succeed at appeal level because it's dealt with by an immigration judge. Okay. Um, but once you've uh, once you've established a de facto adoption has arisen, you do need to re-adopt the child under the Adoption and Children Act 2002 just to formalise your relationship with the child as well. So you wouldn't need to obtain an adoption in the country where you were originally. You can just bring the child, well, you can apply here directly. You can apply okay. here directly, yes, via the um, de facto adoption principle in the immigration rules. Okay, and you know you're talking about um, the, the 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 international adoption, the very first one you mentioned. When you're like, mm -hmm. as long as it's recognised in that country, it'll be recognised here. What if you have a situation where, well, would you have a situation where, for example, certain types of family relationships might not be recognised as acceptable for adoption in that country, but would be recognised here? Would you then have to go under the intercountry adoption? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking perhaps in a country where a same-sex relationship might not be recognized or something like that, um, and they wouldn't allow an adoption in that country, would it be then to do an inter-country adoption here? Yes, it would be to do an inter-country uh, adoption uh, from from this jurisdiction then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. I didn't know about the uh, the three different types of international adoption. Um <laughs> 
so obviously a really big topic to cover because there are three different types. What, what is the process? What do we need to think about? Well, the process for the Hague Convention is quite strict uh, for the um, for the in, uh, <clears throat> international adoption. Um, <clears throat> people need to attend courses that are provided um, by various adoption agencies in the UK specialising in international adoption work. Um, they meet other families, they are assessed, and one of the main criteria of the international adoption process is that a home study report is completed. Mm -hmm. So that is a detailed assessment of your background, your circumstances, your reasons for wanting to adopt, all of that sort of stuff, basically addressing are you suitable to adopt the child. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> What then happens is then if you that adoption, um, the recommendation is made to an adoption panel where you need to go and attend as well. Um, and then the panel will decide if you're suitable to adopt or not. If they decide that you're suitable to adopt, you have to obtain from the Department of Education um, a, a certificate of suitability to adopt oh as well. Okay. So it's a long process. It's quite an expensive process as well because it's not run by your local authority. You have to pay for all this privately. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and once you've got your certificate of suitability to adopt, you go to your foreign jurisdiction, which is still in the Hague Convention on the designated list, and you adopt a child in accordance with the jurisdiction of that country. But as long as you've got your home assessment you've got your certificate of suitability to adopt. Um, returning back to England is going to be, well, should be non-problematic um, and there won't be any requirement for you to re-adopt the child in this jurisdiction then. So you have to do all the hurdles in this country when you have all those <laughs> certificates and confirmations. You don't do anything, you don't do any other hurdles necessarily, any other um, uh, reports or anything in that foreign country. You would just provide them with the certificates here and they would accept that. Absolutely. So uh, people get um, into difficulties because they think it's one, probably overly expensive overly problematic what's the big deal kind of thing and they will try and do the easy route which mm -hmm. is ignore the steps um and that <laughs> that's easy uh, yeah definitely yeah um and that's when they get into difficulties and sometimes it can be grave difficulties as well because they've formed an attachment with the child at that point of and you've got authority saying well you can't take the child back into your country it's not your child and it's hard for couples or individuals even to comprehend that as well so yeah so what happens for the intercountry process so the intercountry uh, process, I would say to people, <clears throat> number one, be careful, um, because the home, uh, the foreign office here, does um, randomly put up on the internet countries that they won't accept adoptions from, um, <clears throat> and those are countries where the government or the foreign office have found issues around child exploitation and child trafficking. Okay. Um, so the um, so number one, it, you've got to be careful about those kinds of things. Um, but the process is the process in the foreign jurisdiction, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. provided you follow the laws and regulations of that jurisdiction and you obtain 
the equivalent of an adoption order from that jurisdiction, um, then there shouldn't be any problems in entering the country. You would have to say to the um, immigration authorities that you are bringing the child, you, the child has been adopted, so the child would mm-hmm. have their own foreign passport, um, but you accept that the adoption isn't recognised in England and Wales, uh, and therefore you're taking the child back to re-adopt them in England and Wales. Okay. And so what about your third option? The de facto adoption. That I enjoy those, um, and I'll give you an example later on, but... Um, I just say you've got to build up a life story, basically. You know, if this child was in your care from birth, for example, and the, and the child is now five um, and you um, want to return back home to the jurisdiction, then what have you done? In, what have you done with that child in those five years? Where is the evidence of that? Where are the photographs for that? Where are the friends? Where are the schools? You know, who can vouch that they've always seen you with this child? So it's building up the evidence that can satisfy the criteria set out in the immigration rules, basically. Okay. That's a very different processes, and you definitely need to be speaking to someone about which one applies to you first. Mm-hmm. You briefly mentioned that the costs for the um, uh, international adoption are quite... Uh, large. What are the costs that the parties need to be aware of? So for the home study, so the the there's only a few agencies that work under the Hague Convention in this jurisdiction that can take you all the way to that certificate of suitability to mm-hmm. adopt via the Department of Education. Um, for their home, so they have their own individual fees in themselves because their assessment is quite detailed and it's not funded by the local authority, they can charge up to ten to £15,000 oh. for that home study report. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is a fee to obtain the certificate of entitlement for mm-hmm. the... Um, for the uh, from the Department of Education, and there may be fees in your foreign country where when you go out and readopt the child. I mean, the comfort there is there are no legal fees when you return back to the jurisdiction because if you follow the entire process, your adoption will be automatically recognised in this country. Sure. Okay. And for the other ones, is it just the legal fees that we have to worry about, or can it be absolutely anything? Yeah, so anything? the um, intercountry um, adoption process, those will be your foreign legal fees in the foreign jurisdiction mm-hmm. as well, uh, which you, I would say you would need to research very well as mm-hmm. well. Um, the secondly, <clears throat> there are the fees in England to readopt the child in this jurisdiction. Um, as well, <clears throat> and the associated court fee with that. With the de facto adoption, um, there are there is a fee to pay when you initially made the application under the immigration rules at okay. that point, um, and they they will be. The likelihood is that you will have to appeal the initial decision because that's only made by an admin entry clearance officer who doesn't understand 
the principle of de facto adoption. Um, so there will be associated fees or likely associated fees with an immigration appeal against that decision. And then on top of that, the fees associated with readopting the child under um, the Adoption and Children Act as well. Okay, so lots of fees to be aware of before going ahead yeah. into this. Yeah, okay. yeah. budgeting mm-hmm. for it, definitely. That's right, yeah. How did the parents bring the child or children back to England? So under the, if your adoption is a Hague adoption, mm-hmm. pretty straightforward, your adoption is recognised in this jurisdiction, so you should be able to obtain a um a child's British passport, to be honest with you, um, and enter as a British citizen, naming you as the parent or parents of the child concerned. Um, Under the inter-country adoption route and the de facto adoption route, because there is no recognition of of your relationship with that child and you can't pass on nationality, um, then under under those two, the child is going to have to obtain somehow, and that's why it's important to get advice in the foreign jurisdiction as well, has to obtain a passport for that country in particular. Okay. Um, thereafter, if it's an inter-country adoption, the child would apply for a visa, for a settlement visa, on the basis that they're being re-adopted in the UK. That will give them two years in the UK uh, for the adoption process to be completed and it's it's always completed in that time. Thereafter the child can, when you've got your adoption order, can apply for a British passport. Um, Under the de facto principle the visa would say that a de facto adoption has arisen and the child is going to be re-adopted in the UK. Uh, And again, after you've obtained your adoption order in the UK, then um, you can um, apply for a British passport. The difficulty with the de facto adoption is that if your immigration appeal is, or your initial application for entry clearance is refused, then that child has to remain in the foreign jurisdiction until the appeal is heard and the appeal has actually been determined by an immigration judge as well. And that can take quite a long time, actually. Okay. Right. So more hurdles, more steps mm-hmm. for our yes. parents to consider mm-hmm. very carefully. Um mm-hmm. What are the he- I mean, are there any hearings that we have to be entering into? How does it work? Um, so when you're in this country, on, on a Hague Convention, there won't typically be a hearing okay. uh, at all. Um, but on an inter-country adoption, there will only be um, the um, hearings in relation to the English adoption under the Adoption of Children Act. Okay, sure. Um, and those are essentially two hearings. One hearing is just a directions hearing. Uh, and the second is the final hearing. So, um, slightly different with de facto, if you've got that immigration appeal, there will be a hearing in, in front of the immigration tribunal, uh, followed by the two hearings um, under the Adoption and Children Act. So you don't have the whole kind of turning up at court and the judge taking photo with the parents and the child? Well, you do. You do. Yeah. You still, same as a parental order. Um at the final hearing where the judge is going to grant the um, adoption order, mm-hmm. there is an adoption ceremony. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, the ones I've done have all been at the Central Family Court. And 
you know, you see judges, and there's only a few judges that will deal with um, this kind of work, but you might have seen them in an FDR the week before Mm -hmm. shouting and screaming, um, and another side of their personality comes out at at an adoption ceremony. So, yes. That's definitely nice. (laughs) Okay, so... I think we've covered everything I wanted to ask. Is there anything that you think should be brought up that I've missed or that you think would be very interesting for people to know about? Well, um, the only thing I I would say is obviously the outcome of any of these adoption processes is absolutely rewarding for the individuals Mm -hmm. concerned. Um, But to get to that point, you've got to do your research um take legal advice don't try and cut any corners or anything like that um and ask questions basically as you're going along um because you know at the end it's the same as international surrogacy what i say to people there is you want to concentrate on the child Mm. who's with you as opposed to the bureaucracy and the admin side of things and if you've got your ducks in order from day one it should be a very, very smooth process for you. How long do these processes take? Because we've, we've talked about the processes, how they work, what you need to be doing, the costs. Mm. But if we're asking people to think about things in advance, how how long should we be telling them they need to plan in advance? Mm. I think with the Hague Convention, well, with the Home Study and Department of Education and Adoption Panels input, and then your going to the foreign country to re-adopt, that can take up to 18 months, to be oh, honest wow, with okay. you. As that's, well. that's quite a period. Um, with the inter-country adoption, um, that probably is slightly less um, to come, to return back to the jurisdiction would be slightly less, but I would still say it's going to take you over 12 months okay. to um, get to a, a hearing in the UK in relation to your adoption here. Um, With a de facto adoption, that's the longest one, I have to say, because if it's rejected on your initial entry clearance application, then waiting for an appeal date can be over a year. Um, So you've waited a year for the appeal. The appeal is then successful. You apply, you come in. So that can be more than 18 months. So during that time, for example, for the de facto, the child would have to remain out of the country. Absolutely, absolutely. And same, I'm assuming, same for obviously the Hague proceedings, the Hague, the Hague applications, you also would need to remain out of the country for all of them. So you'd have to factor mm-hmm. in that it might take you 18 months or two years or whatever to do this. That's right. And that right. during that yeah. time, you and that child will have to remain out of the jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Or you will have to find somebody to care for the child uh, if you need to return. Yeah. But with the de facto adoption, you've got to show that continuing relationship as well. Yeah, okay. So you've got to be careful that you haven't left the child for a long period of time Mm -hmm. as well. That makes sense. So lots to think about cost-wise, procedural-wise, timing-wise, but very rewarding. Do you do you think there is an increase in adoptions or is it something that you've always seen at a continuous level? What do you think? Um certainly pre-covid it was very um it was very 
popular, if I put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an alternative route for people to have families, which they mm-hmm. would explore. Um, and, it, um, you know, if they weren't, for whatever reasons, you know, want to consider um, surrogacy, wanted adoption for whatever reasons. Um, but COVID has, for international cases, put a damper on um, work basically or matters are on hold simply because of the different jurisdictions and their restrictions basically yeah okay so that might actually make it a little bit longer because if if the countries they themselves are are being slower at dealing with things for whatever reasons it's going to delay matters even more yeah Mm. okay so top tips Take take advice. <laughs> Top tips: Do your research. Do your research. Um, do your research. Get I I'd say for any of those steps, get legal advice. Mm-hmm. With the de facto, you need I would say you need a solicitor with you all the time because the letter with your initial immigration application drawing their attention to the immigration rules would be written by a solicitor on your behalf. Um, you'll obviously need the assistance in the appeal as mm. well. So it's just do your research and get legal advice, basically. As soon as possible. Jitesh, thank you so much for that. That was super interesting. And despite the fact that I've talked with you about adoption in the past, I learned something new once again. So thank you so much for that. No, thank um, you for your time again. <laughs> I was going to ask the question that I ask at the end of every podcast, but I already know the answer. I'll still ask, just in case you've changed. Favorite coffee? Uh, a black americano still a black americano <laughs> yeah. not changed 10 it's years not on it's changed at all same so. thing you did, thank you so much for that that was very interesting and very helpful um and i will no doubt get you on again at some point to talk about something else but thank you for coming on to discuss international adoption with me today thank you all right thanks Family Law and Lattes will continue next week. In the meantime, if you have any suggestions about the podcast or topics you'd like to hear discussed in the future, please send me a tweet at Melanie underscore Batayar, message me on Instagram at Melanie Batayar, or email me at familylawandlattes at gmail.com.